Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane, and we're continuing our program, Foundations in Faith. Today, we're going to look at the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 10, verses 12 through 16. It's probably one of the more troublesome and more difficult Gospels that we have to grapple with. Um, to, to simply read it is one thing, but to proclaim it in a community, to have this stand up before a congregation of believers, this is an extremely difficult Gospel. And so it makes it even more important for us to understand as very best we can kind of what actually it means and what actually it says. And so it began, some Pharisees approached Jesus and asked, is it against the law for a man to divorce his wife? They were testing him, and he answered them, what did Moses command you? Moses allowed us, they said, to draw up a writ of dismissal and so to divorce. And Jesus told, said to them, it was because you were no, so unteachable that he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. This is why a man must leave father and mother, and the two become one body. They are no longer two, therefore, but one body. And so then, what God has united, man must not divide. Back in the house, the disciples questioned him again about this, and he said to them, The man who divorces his wife and marries another is guilty of adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she is guilty of adultery. So here we are. We live in the midst of the 21st century, where over 50% of the marriages, at least in our country, end in divorce. And that we know also personal stories within our own families of the trials and the struggles of people to kind of try and and make their marriage work and make their marriage be something fruitful and something that instills joy and happiness and some kind of stability in their lives. And yet even in those who set out with this with this intention, with the proper intention of marriage, oftentimes run onto the rocks somewhere along the way. What about what about the physically abusive husband? What about the chronically unfaithful wife? What about the chronically unfaithful husband? What about the, uh, the development of addictions and all of these kinds of things? Is this something that we just, everyone simply has to suck it up and live with? Or what is this? And, and why, do we, why, do we find, um, why do we find it so difficult not only to hear this, but in our society to live this? And I think that we have to look deeply into this whole mystery that Jesus is talking about. First of all, there are the complications of of the rabbinic law, Judaic law. Um, Because they said, well, well, God um, allowed us, Moses allowed us to divorce. And the liberal side said for... um, for the conservative side said for indecency, the Greek porneia. And, and basically that, that means in a sense kind of fornication, means in a sense unchastity, means in a sense 
infidelity in so many ways. Because the words that they use in here do not say adultery. They're talking about other forms of unchastity. Then on the liberal side with the Rabbi Hillel, they take that to mean indecent, meaning anything that displeases the husband. And so what you had then was a very, very liberal divorce policy where men were concerned and no options whatsoever where women were concerned. Eventually, as the Roman law sunk into ancient Palestine, that many of them, um, many women in, in difficult situations, took, uh, took refuge in the Roman law and did divorce their husbands. But within the Hebrew community, they kind of became apostates. So why does Jesus say that this is something that, uh, that no one can do? And so we have a number of varieties of ways of, of reflecting on that question. The first is, and kind of in a kind of shocking sort of way, Cardinal Walter Kaspar of Germany um, said we don't have to pay attention to this because it's too harsh, it's too difficult. Well, that's not a responsible way out of anything, actually, you know? Um, we can say that about just anything. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet anything. Well, they don't count because they're too harsh. No, that's, that, that's not an avenue we can travel. But we have to go back and see what Jesus is saying. And what Jesus is saying, and very clearly so, is that in the book of Genesis, in the original order of creation, that it is bound together in such a way that the marriage, the binding of both heart and body, become, in fact, the creation of a new entity, a new person, and so that the two become one flesh. And the idea is, is that together they work toward eternal salvation, each for the other, in this bond of unbreakable unity, reminiscent and reflective of the kind of unity that the Lord God has with us. So that when, in fact, you unravel the fabric of marriage, you run the risk of unraveling the fabric of the proper understanding of the relationship between God and ourselves. For as the story of redemption opens up through the scriptures and opens up through the church, we began to find that this union of husband and wife is kind of a prototype of the union of Jesus and his people. And without understanding the unbreakable bond of the marriage, we find it sometimes hard to understand the unbreakable bond of God's covenant with us. Ultimately, into redemption, while we do not, as in the Eastern religions, lose our individuality or our personhood, those personhoods in the idea of marriage are united to the person of Christ so that the two are one. And all of the greatness and all of the wonder and all of the joy of being the Son of God becomes part of who we are through our bond with Jesus Christ. In the Catholic Church, we see this bond forged through the sacraments and especially through the sacrament of the Eucharist. 
we find the other sacraments ancillary to help us in some way to be able to sustain the relationship with the Lord through penance and through all the, and through and through marriage, through service and priesthood, through through anointings of the sick and so forth. All of those are oriented toward binding us and locking us into the person of Jesus Christ so that we share his destiny. You know, the whole question of predestination is, is in this as well. Um, we know that in Calvinism and other ancillary branches of Calvinistic Protestantism, we are aware of the fact that they have taken the Pauline and Augustine idea of predestination and individualized it, which they have done primarily with all of the theological reflections of the fathers and of the ages. When they were not spoken to us individually, they were spoken to us corporately, and so they refer to a corporate body. They refer to the church. And in the church, united to the body of Christ, we share Christ's predestination to eternal life. And that this, as I've mentioned a few times before, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity reflects upon this very beautifully, that it is our predestination is a predestination of being in the church through being united with the body of Christ. And that the body of Christ is what becomes a part of our being for all eternity. And, uh, And so the incarnation of the Lord is an eternal reality in a way for binding himself to our human nature. He binds our human nature to eternal destiny. Well, if this imagery keeps going through the idea and through the ages of the church, we run into we run into not only Cardinal Casper's problem, but we run into a very interesting contemporary issue about about religion, about faith. Um, I was talking to a young woman not so long ago, and uh, she was saying, "Well, when I grew up." All the religious, everybody taught us that, you know, God wants us to be happy. And I thought, well, certainly, yes, that's true. But what do they mean by that? Do they mean we're supposed to have a serendipitous life from from the womb to the tomb? Is that what they mean? If that's what they mean, they're wrong. Because life is not serendipitous from beginning to end. People struggle. They struggle with illness. They struggle with emotions. They struggle with the world. They struggle with finances. They struggle with all sorts of things, with violence and disease and everything else. If I go back um, to the Baltimore Catechism of so long ago, the whole idea of happiness is why did God make me? He made me to love him and serve him in this world and be happy with him forever in the next. Happiness is the goal of human existence. But that goal of human existence is never fully realized until we enter into the permanent kingdom of God. Which means that I'm not happy is an insufficient reason to break the bonds of marriage. I think, you know, so then why do we? How can we do this? The church has found its own way through this maze of, of, the, uh, of the incomprehensible. It has developed what we call the annulment system. And, it, they, and, and what, they, what it does 
is it investigates the roots of a marriage and says in the roots of this marriage, is there sufficient freedom and is there sufficient um, self-awareness and consciousness and maturity for us to make a definitive commitment for life? Um, and, and that's what the investigation circles around. Many people think, well, this is just a divorce and, you know, I'm going to challenge. And that's not what they're looking for. They're looking for what, ha- what happened at the marriage itself. When you actually spoke those vows, what was going on inside the lives of both people? They use witnesses. They use testimony from different people. And then they adjudicate that in what we call a tribunal. If it was decided that the bond, the sacramental bond, was never really there because of defect on the part of the person's ability to accept it or extraneous circumstances that made it impossible for them to accept it, then the church grants an annulment and allows the person to remarry. But that's not divorce and remarriage. That's going back and adjudicating the validity of the marriage that they have contracted. And in so doing then, What they try to do is preserve the integrity of the sacrament of marriage while at the same time not forcing people into situations which are impossible for them to live in. If we go back again to Genesis and we see this perfection of the human person and this perfection of creation, we come to know and understand that this business of male and female and uh, this business is before the fall It's before original sin. And just like everything else in the world of Eden, that the perfection was granted by the Lord. The perfection was marred and disfigured by humanity. The idea of marriage continues to be marred and continues to be distorted by the sinfulness of humanity. It's why when we toss the word marriage around very lightly, We have no idea what, especially when Catholics do that, how awful that is to say in some way, shape, or form that the ideal of Genesis is passé. It's too difficult. And so we have great celebrations of of gay marriage, great celebrations of... uh, of marriage for all sorts of strange and unusual reasons, all sorts of distortions of the picture of Genesis. The idea is not to celebrate the fall of mankind. The idea is to do the best we can to repair the damage that humanity has done to the beautiful and primordial vision of the Lord for our lives and for the life of his whole creation. That's the thing that we are supposed to be working toward. Not harshly and not with a heavy hand, but with all of the kind of finesse of charity that there is to try and deal with people where they are, what they're believing, what they're thinking, and yet at the same time always recall them to the primordial picture in Genesis, which is the ideal of the world in which we are supposed to live. If God wanted us to be happy in this life, we were the ones that refused to be so. If God created a perfect world, 
then we are the ones who distorted and changed it. The lack of happiness in my personal life is not, is not God's fault. It's the fault of a fallen humanity. And in that fault of fallen humanity, we become then, in so many ways, the agents of continuing destruction. I think that the church is trying to emphasize now a greater, a greater put a greater emphasis on, uh, on marriage preparation and so forth. And, and that's a good thing. It's a very good thing. The problem being, of course, I mean, been in marriage preparation for a lot of years, is that very seldom does it take a couple who should not be married and convince them not to marry. And, um, and besides that, the human judgment on who those couples are is, uh, is a judgment that is uh, very fallible. If, if I could say I've, you know, I've done hundreds of weddings over the last half century, and a few of them I thought, boy, they'll never last. And most of the time, they did. The ones that didn't usually surprised me, which is a reflection upon my judgment and my capacity to kind of look deeply into these situations. And because my judgment is human, um, it's fallible. And so is the judgment of everyone else, which is why in an annulment case, witnesses are called, people have received testimony, and a panel of judges reviews so that it's not just one person. And in so doing, come to a corporate conclusion about the validity or the invalidity of the marriage. I think, too, that part of the suffering of humanity has to do with their infidelity, with our infidelity. I don't want to single somebody out and say, oh, they got divorced, therefore they're unfaithful. That's not true, and we know that. But... Um, but what we do want to say is human infidelity has caused this to happen. And the pain of this destructive thing is absolutely excruciating. I know I was talking to a, a psychologist one time about this, and she herself was divorced. And she told me, she said, Father, if I would have ever known what divorce was like, I could have lived with anything. And, and, and I think that there is, in a certain sense, this deep wrenching of the deepest part of our human sense of the self that, in some way, shape, or form, rebels against the damage done to us by our society and seeks desperately to find some kind of way to overcome these kinds of deficits in our lives. I do think that in the contemporary age, Young people are much more serious about divorce than they were 40 years ago. Um, marriage got to the point, like even in marriage preparation, got to the point where it was almost a casual thing for people. And, uh, and, and the emphasis was always on the party. Um, I think we've seen, I think those people's children have seen the wreckage of marriages which weren't taken seriously. And I think there is a very strong movement forward um, to take serious, more seriously these very, very deep human commitments. When you say that you are going to give yourself to become one in another person, you're abandoning, in a way, your isolated individuality. 
And you are allowing yourself, therefore, not only to freely surrender yourself to another, but to become part of their life and their part of your life so that you never really are ever the same again as you were for the marriage because they're in you and you are in them. And while human nature being what it is, that for many people, thank God, is a very wonderful and happy and exciting experience. Um, For some, of course, it's a very sad and difficult experience. Some are become saints through the adversity. And can we say to them then, you know, well, gee, this is how God made you happy, by giving you a rotten marriage? Well, that's stupid. We can't say that. But what we can say is remember. Remember the goal. And remember that the goal is eternal happiness. And sometimes we have to struggle to get to that in this life. And kind of the superficiality of the search for the serendipitous life is in many ways sets everybody up for disappointment and for pain. Because we know that we establish strong expectations for our lives, that oftentimes we do not attain them. And when we do not attain them, it's painful for us. What happens oftentimes in marriage is if we have these great expectations and they don't materialize, one spouse begins to blame the other one for, not, for it not materializing. And, um, and, and that, of course, then leads to a deep sense of dislike and of hatred. How many divorced couples do we know that, uh, that hate each other? You know, um, not all do, obviously, but some do, and that's obvious too. Um, so then we come back to this and we say, what are all these other things? Well, it's too harsh. Is perfection, happiness, wholeness of life, is that too harsh? That's what God calls us to in this. In, in all of that, I mean, is this just... Is this just Silliness? Or or what is this? No, it's to let us know the possible. And I think that's something that married couples need to hear, is that they are living witnesses to the human community, to the church community. They are living witnesses to the fact that the possibility of authentic love, committed love, lifelong commitment, that that becomes possible. That's part of the mission of the married couple, the Christian married couple, the Catholic couple. You are to witness to friends and you are to witness to family. Those of you who are discouraged and those of you who don't think this is possible, we are going to show you, yes, it is possible. It's not too harsh. It is possible. Falling upon the, 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 uh, the rocks of the journey from time to time the witness shatters and the witness falls apart. But the person still seeks and, and tries to attain some sense of integrity of person, some sense of mutual integrity that can lead them, therefore, to understand the Eucharistic union of human beings and God and come to understand then 
the destiny and the and the predestination to which the lord the lord has 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 given them and and these are things then we should reflect upon the whole whole idea was god wants me to be happy well he wants you to be happy in heaven you know it's great if you find happiness on earth we hope everybody does we pray everybody does we do the best we can to make other people happy we do the best we can to serve the needs of other people we do the best we can to surrender to the needs of other people despite ourselves and we certainly know that true love of any kind is where the well-being of the one who is loved is more important to us than our own if that is not in fact the construct of married love then maybe the vision of genesis is too harsh maybe instead of blaming god you know maybe we ought to blame ourselves and the other thing that it does to us when that happens the other thing it does to us when that happens interestingly enough is that it reveals the hideousness and the ugliness of sin it should drive us toward the confessional it should drive us toward conversion it should drive us toward seeking a deeper life with the lord it should drive us toward a more increased um involvement in the sacramental life of the church it should drive us into a form of prayer for for the life that we are supposed to have and others are supposed to have instead of being too harsh it corrects the silliness of a serendipitous life and it also then gives us something to pray for something to hope for something to strive for and something in the very depths of our hearts and in the very depths of our souls to look forward in joy to the possibility of that kind of union with god himself that carries us into true happiness and true joy for for all eternity Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com. This